Hello and welcome to another episode of Dawncast podcast. I'm Di Lee. And today we've got a wonderful woman, many of you would have heard of her, Stacey Copas. Stacey is an international speaker, especially on the subject of resilience. So Stacey helps people shift how they perceive and um, and respond to change and adversity, getting them to see opportunities instead of obstacles. Is that right, Stacey? And welcome to our show. Yes, that is right. And I think also too, I think the the the, the word of the, the the current climate is uncertainty. So that's probably the other one to throw in there with the change and adversity. So de- definitely helping people um, with their perception of uncertainty at the moment as well. And it's fabulous to be here with you. Thank you. Look, I know you've been asked this question probably a million times, right? So what motivates you to do what you do? Yeah, it's, it was interesting because it's, uh, I guess to take you back um, in time and how I came to be speaking about resilience is when I was 12 years old, I, I had an accident in a relative's backyard swimming pool where I broke my neck and drowned and that unfortunately left me a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And so that was a, you know, obviously a huge adjustment for a young person um, and so it was then going through all of the processes after that and the deep and the dark and eventually being able to then be able to reverse engineer how I turned my life from the lowest to the lows to where I am today. And at first I sort of thought, oh, look, there's nothing special about me, um, but with the help of people outside me that saw something in me more but than I saw it in myself, they then helped me to see that the lessons that I could share with people about how to overcome adversity were really powerful. Um, But it wasn't until I I started speaking and sharing my story and then getting the messages and the emails and things back afterwards where people had heard me speak and they were able to then share how something that I had said had made a big change in their life. So getting those sort of messages is what really motivates me now. And now I, I sort of feel almost a deep moral responsibility to do what I do, um, knowing that if I don't show up in my best self um, and open and generous with my energy and my time, um, then, you know, perhaps somebody's life may be worse off if I don't do that. So I see it as an absolute privilege now and, um, you know, I'm I'm very lucky to get to do what I do. Mm. I mean, I posted this morning a quote saying that um, every uh, sort of every situation requires you to take yourself to the next level, right? You have to generate yourself and that's, you've just touched upon it. But what did it take for you to generate yourself um, following that accident? As you said, you were in the darkest of the dark. Um, can you tell us how dark was it for you? Oh, look, in, in the years that, the you know, the first few years particularly that followed that accident, I would have given anything to have either turned back the clock and not taken that dive or to not be here at all. And uh, really in those years that followed, like I hated life and I hated myself and you know, at the lowest points I didn't want to be here at all. And really I think it was the, you know, the fear that had I taken a, taken a step to towards not being here, the fear that if someone had found me before I was gone and I had have ended up worse off than what I was, really probably was the only thing that stopped me in that moment. So, you know, that was that was as dark as it got. And it's one of those things that we often 
make judgments and and we again make make assumptions about people that have either taken their own lives or attempted to um but you just can't we really can't judge because you just never know where someone's at in order to find themselves at that place and that scared me that i found myself in that place so and it was finding myself at the lowest of the lows that really almost shocked me into going you need to you know you know you need to get on with things and and make a change in your life and there's so much still opportunity so much potential um, but i needed to you know really pick myself up and actually make steps towards making those changes I mean, like you've just touched upon that, is that, you know, you don't judge, we don't judge people in terms of, you know, when when they're at that mindset, um, what what they're thinking and therefore that darkest depth that they're going through. But how do we, um, there's a bit of a noise there, shuffling of noise, noise. (laughs) is that yours or our end? (laughs) It might have been mine, sorry. Okay, that's all right. but so basically what can like at that point in time when you're going through that how can people around you that love you how can they reach and access you if you know to help as you said if you can't judge but then how do we get people out of that state what can we do what is your advice to people that are surrounding you know your, your loved ones to get you to get you out of that state yeah, look, I know that I was probably like a lot of people in, in, that find themselves in these situations where outwardly you look like everything's going well. So that that can be the that can be the difficulty is often those of us that are having tough times are pretty good at hiding it. So I think really the most important thing is 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 just to is just to have good conversation consistently with the people that you're closest with because I think it's more likely that somebody will be more open um, and more likely to perhaps reach out if there is that continuous flow of conversation anyway. I think it's very, it's much more difficult to put your hand up or even just to say you're having a tough time when you're the one that's actually reaching out. So I feel that if there is that, that consistent conversation and people just are asking those questions and, you know, we've had Are You OK Day and things like that, it's just rem- remembering that that's just not, you don't just ask those questions one day a year. Um, so it is yeah. it is gen- genuinely asking people how they are. Um, and, and if something, if, if, if I think a lot of the time it can be trusting your intuition, it can just be going a little bit deeper. And sometimes asking the questions that you feel might be uncomfortable to ask, but I think it's better to feel uncomfortable in a moment than to regret perhaps a question or a conversation that wasn't had um, and and something, you know, bad may have come from that. Yeah, look, you know, it's, um, as you mentioned earlier, with the whole thing around COVID, there are a lot of people that are also experiencing a lot of um, a, a mental health issues. So, and sometimes you feel like, what what can I do, you know, to to help them? And and how do we, um, uh, kind of couch it in a way that is sensitive, and not? Yeah, it's so hard, isn't it, Stacey? So can you then tell, you know, like what are some of the steps that somebody like me can can support somebody going through um, a, a challenging and and mentally difficult time, uh, it, you know, in times like this. 
Yeah, I think particularly as you touched on, like the current times that we're in, um, that being socially connected with the people that are important to us is is more important than ever. And I've took I've taken particular exception to the languaging around social distancing. Yes, because it oh it it has bugged me since the very first time I heard it. Um, it's okay. We keep a little bit of physical distance, but we need to be socially closer than we've ever been before. So this is a this is the time where it is it is important to pick up the phone more often than than we would have. And and I think in these times it's probably to to err on the side of over communication rather than under communication. Um, and it is, it's just, it's having just the normal conversations, but it is, it's, 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 it is really asking um, the questions and, and I said, going deeper and, and, and sometimes pushing that little bit further than you may have, um, but asking it with an open heart and with curiosity rather than feeling like you're pushing somebody, yeah. I think is is the biggest thing. I think if it's if you're coming from a place of, you know, of, of empathy and understanding and compassion and curiosity, I think that that can be uh, uh, the best place to come from. And a lot of the time it's actually just trusting, trusting that you'll have the right words in the right moment because I think often we have a tendency to overthink things. And, and if we're in a conversation with somebody, if we're in our heads and we're thinking too much and not feeling, then often that can block that type of conversation that really needs to be had. So I think that there's, yeah, there's a tendency to overthink rather than just be present in the moment and actually come from a place of heart and feel and then speak from that rather than from what we think we should say. We, we tend to uh, live in our heads, don't we? I think a lot of people do. We analyse, we think, we analyse and um, I, I think more and more we kind of have have moved um, that way but I I think in the last probably due to COVID people are kind of having time to stop and not just think but actually feel um, uh, and the impact I think like you said the impact of social distancing has really made people feel like I don't want to social distance to anybody (laughs) I want I need people more than ever you know so um, (laughs) Yeah, I think it's been really, it's been quite interesting because I think there's a lot of people that thought, probably thought they were more introverted than what they were um, and that they've realised how much they do need to be around people. And we're, humans are social creatures. We do need to be around people. Um, so it's 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 using whatever tools we can and and making the efforts, you know, for those of us that are able to, to, to travel even within our local areas and stuff is to actually go and make the effort to sit down and have a cup of tea with somebody yeah. do those type of things because um, it's that that's what's needed more than ever is just that connection and that 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 genuine coming from a place of heart and compassion mm. how much of your upbringing um, influenced you do you believe uh, in your background to give you that uh, that spirit of fighting back to take you know to get you out of that darkness to be where you are today? I think what was pretty beneficial for me is that prior to having my accident, I was actually a fairly competitive athlete. (laughs) So it was, it was definitely that sort of element of competitiveness was in me. Um, So I, I looked at everything in life, even as a young person was a little bit of a competition, even at school, an exam for me, most people felt pressure 
I actually felt quite excited because it was an opportunity to compete in some way. So I really feel that there was that element of of competition was something that did keep me going at that time. So it was a matter of just, um, you know, always once I sort of got through the darkest of the points, beyond that, I've had a, a, a really deep sense of always striving to be better and always striving to to just to push myself in a way to get out of my comfort zone to challenge myself um, and to often just to see how much you can do and how far you can go. So I think that that element um, of that has been really powerful um, and I definitely definitely was brought up with the the mindset of having a strong work ethic um, and always always coming from a place of I think really earning earning what we got in life rather than having a sense of entitlement in any way. So I think that that's definitely um, definitely been an asset as far as being able to then rebuild and, and, and really make something in my life after that had happened. Mm. Was there a pivotal moment um, in that darkness where, where you – that something happened that made you then change to say, this is it, I've got to turn my life around and I've got to turn my perspective around – um, that this obstacles is now the way for me forward. Yeah, as I touched on earlier, there was that there was an element of scaring myself by how low I'd gotten. Um, but I think that the perspective shift there was there was a I, I, I can't pinpoint the exact moment it happened, but uh, it was probably into my early twenties when you know I got out and got a job and had a relationship and. I think it was, you know, just be like, just about to move out of home for the first time, you know, do all those sort of things. And there was a definite shift for me where I began to realise that while I couldn't change what had happened, I definitely had the opportunity to change the way I looked at it. I had the opportunity to change the way I felt about it. And I had the opportunity to change what happened next. And so I began to look at what happened from a place of complete gratitude and most people think, how the, how the heck can, you know, ending up a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of your life be positive? But it was a genuine shift for me. And, and I can say with absolute certainty now that having made that shift, that I've had opportunities and experiences in my life that I would never have had, had my life had taken the path that I'd intended it to all of those years ago. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, for most people, I, if people are in a, a challenging situation or even just in a, you know in, in you know, day to day when you get in a state of overwhelm or frustration is to always just come back to gratitude and gratitude not from look around and find all the things you're grateful for it's just to actually just experience a sense of gratitude and I do that by just saying thank you for the opportunity to be who I am where I am with what I have at this moment in time and it just snaps you out of the worrying about what's already been or worrying about what's coming ahead, just brings you back into the moment and coming from a place of gratitude uh, definitely shifts because you, you can't feel bad about something you're grateful for. You can't feel two opposing emotions in the one moment. So, and, and gratitude's a choice. Um, and so it's, 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 it's the simplest way to, to bring yourself back into the moment. Uh, look, I love that. I used to have a gratitude jar with my son. Um, we haven't done it this year, but um, throughout the year, what we do is we write a little note uh, on a daily, if we can, not not necessarily daily, but as often as we can, and put it in this jar. And then at the end of the 
end of the year, the start of the new year, we opened this jar for the grad, you know, to look at what we were grateful for throughout the year. But it's such a hard thing to practice. Um, and how can we get people to practice that gratitude, as you said, um, feeling of gratitude, being grateful on a daily basis? Because it's, it's easier said than done. I mean, I tried it um, and I wished I could get my family, my son, my husband to do it more regularly. But, um, you know, it's, it's a hard um, habit to, to build. Yeah, and I think the way I think that the way that people have traditionally done it, um, and and the traditional way, or the way that you hear it most, is is similar. Is to write down things you're grateful for, have a gratitude journal, um, and I can sometimes I feel for for myself and for many other people that I've spoken to over the years, is it almost becomes like something you do out of a sense of obligation, rather than coming from a place of pure heart. And, and that's where I've found that using a mantra has been really powerful because it's just something you say and then that brings that state. Um, in addition to that, what I do is I, I practice more situational gratitude as well. So that's around just being really aware of your surroundings in any moment um, and taking the time to actually really look at something and be grateful for it. And I, I did this yesterday afternoon. I was sitting out on my front veranda in the sun, 30-degree day in September, grateful for that. Um, but I was just, I was actually watching some birds just flying from tree to tree. And I just, and I probably spent 10 minutes just watching the birds just going from tree to tree. Those are the moments that actually can really bring you a really deep sense of gratitude and presence and I guess mindfulness is the word that's used. Um, another way that um, it's really good to start to instill a sense of gratitude, particularly with children, is at the end of each day, it could be at the end of the school day, it could be when you're um, around the table for family dinner, it could be as they're going to bed of a night, is just to ask them what was the best thing that happened today. Yeah. Yeah, I used to and, do that until he became a teenager and he stopped doing it. <laughs> oh, that's when you need to turn around and when they say that, you go, well, what was the least crap thing that happened today? Because <laughs> uh, sometimes they're like, no, nope. that's that's where they're in the grunting stage, yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But talking about gr gratitude, it's funny that you said you sat there uh, yesterday and, and being grateful of listening to the birds. I, actually, yesterday I went out have, after having sitting at my laptop working, I went out and looked at the trees. And I looked at, at, at marvel at the trees and I thought, you know, of course there was still traffic and people, but I thought if I can just be in this, just trying and silence things around me, I could actually, I could hear like insects buzzing around and I saw this little bee far away and I thought, oh my God, it, it was so great. Um, and, you know, so whatever stress I was having prior to going, stepping out, it actually, it, it did clear my mind. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, how do we make these kind of um, behaviour and habits more, you know, do people think that that's, oh, God, I don't have the time for that. It's just too of a kind of wanky, you know. So what do, how do we respond to that, though? Yeah, it's funny. I use the exact same word as you just said then, wanky, <laughs> particularly with the particularly with the, tip, the typical gratitude journal um, because I do. I, I do find that I felt it was quite wanky and it didn't work for me. Um, but I think it's just the thing is people need to find what works for them and I think that really if you don't have the time to say a one-line mantra to yourself or you don't have the time to answer a question about what was the best part of the day, there is something really big 
going on in your life if you don't have the like the, don't have the time for that. And this is where I really like to find, well, what, like to find really, really simple things. And I don't get much more simple than this. Um, and that's why I love, I love simplicity. Uh, but really, I think it's, it's just getting people to commit to giving it a go. Um, and there's things that I do in my day, like I, I, I journal, not your typical gratitude journal, um, but I journal every night and I haven't missed a night in over five years now. Oh, wow. It's Yeah, it's just, it's my non-negotiable. And But I started with a commitment to do it for 90 days, no exception. And my commitment with the journal was to write one sentence and it was pretty much answering that question of what was the best thing that happened today. And so I just wrote a sentence that said, today I had the opportunity to. It could take 30 seconds if it got a bit of a roll on. There's times where it has evolved into very long essay material. Um, but it's just finding, I think the big thing is committing to find one thing because I think sometimes people think they need to make all of these changes and they try and do too many things at once. And if you try and do everything, you end up doing nothing. So it's just finding the one thing, do that for, you know, commit, even if it's committing to do it, okay, I'm going to do it for a week and then I'm going to do it for another week. Um, I'm a bit of a, bit of an overachiever. So went yeah. for the 90 days in one go, which turned <laughs> into five years. And now it's, it's my non-negotiable. I, I cannot go to bed without writing. Right. Wow. And so, yeah, it's just finding the, finding the one thing. Um, so you've had, uh, you know, following that decision and that you've turned your perspectives around, uh, and then on this journey to be, the, uh, you know, to to share with the world about building resilience and how you create opportunities from obstacles. Have you experienced further obstacles in creating, in being on that journey? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, every, like this is the thing. I think that there's a perception that once you kind of figure out what you're going to do and you get uh, you get some success that suddenly it's just all smooth sailing, but it's far from it. But there's challenges every single day and particularly when you're doing something, you know, like this and like what you're doing with, with you know, creating content and putting it out and connecting with the world, there's always barriers. There's always obstacles, whether it's a technical, whether it's a tech issue, um, you know, these last six months have been a massive issue um, for, for many of us and, and in my business before you know, before March hit, it was 95% of my business was keynote speaking in person. And yes. every book, every booking I had for 2020 was either cancelled or postponed indefinitely. So I've, I've was off the back of probably the best six months I've ever had in business. And then to hit a complete brick wall. And you know, that, that I'm, you know, I'm not the only one, lots of people have had those issues. Um, and that was a big hit. But there's little, there's little things that, that you know you face every day, and a lot of I think probably the, the the biggest issue that happens every day is what goes on between our ears, and it doesn't matter how much success you get or outwardly how people perceive that you know you're doing amazing or you're you know you super got it together. There's always the doubts that creep in. Oh. Yes. Always. <laughs> Always. Yeah. If people only knew this, you know. Um, and I think we don't hear enough of these doubts. We don't hear enough stories and content around, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, how to build a successful million dollars sort of 
business or look, you know, look at how many millions of followers you can get and all that. And you think, yeah, but that journey there, and I was speaking to somebody, that journey there I'd like to document because as you said, it's that constant voice of, oh my God, how can I improve on this? What else can I do? And how can I engage more people and all of that stuff, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. And then there's the other stuff that's like, who am I to do this? What are they going to think of me? Um, You know, someone I'm going to get criticised or I'm going to make a mistake or, you know, you're putting something out there and, oh, I'm going to forget what I need to say. There is just so much chatter that goes on. Um, So, you know, dealing with those kind of things is just, um, you know, is, is really important. And also knowing that it never goes away, I think that was something that was really reassuring for me to hear is it doesn't matter how far you get, that stuff still goes on. You just get better mm, mm. At, at you're in a dialogue, gets better at sort of going. For me, I know it's like, oh, it's my brain trying to keep me safe because my brain is perceiving that I'm putting myself in danger because there is that element of adrenaline <laughs> that comes from, you know, getting up in front of a thousand people and doing things like that. And so a lot of the time I just go, Thanks, brain. I know you're trying to keep me safe, but I got this. Yeah. I, I remember the other day, actually, actually, it was in the shower thinking there was a post uh, I've seen many, I can't remember, a while back about meditation. And one of the, so there was a monk saying, you know, is, is the community voices of monkeys in your head? So feed it with a banana, right? So as my voices was going, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to feed a banana. I'm going to feed a banana so I can stop talking. And and, and sometimes you think there's a community, committee of voices uh, you can shrink it down to two voices between you and the brain, but there are other times there are so many voices that you you don't know who who which ones you have dialogue with. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I I'm gonna have to re- I'm gonna have to remember that one. Yeah, it's feed feed the feed the monkeys a banana. Uh, yeah, that's um, right. Because it is. It's funny, isn't it? It's even when you're out with a group, when you're with a group of people, I think the only time there's silence is when everyone's eating. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, what was it like then for you this year with the whole? Co- you said with your business being keynote speaker what that that what did that mean for you and how how did you manage emotionally mentally yeah it was definitely challenging um and i think that particularly here in australia we've been very fortunate that i was able to tap into JobKeeper, um which was really good because what it enabled me to do was it enabled me to have a little bit of space so that I didn't have to then make decisions in my business from a place of scarcity. So that was that was definitely beneficial. Um, so what I did at first, at first I was like, this is exciting because resilience, this is the time. <laughs> and thankfully I've got really good mentors and coaches that had said people are in panic, the time for resilience will come later. I'm like, okay, thank you, outside eyes from stopping me from getting a little bit too overexcited and eager. Um, so what I did was um, I, 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 for a while I sort of swung this pendulum and I've spoken to many people that have had similar experiences where you went from, oh, I'm so excited, I've got all this time and space to create and work on all these projects that I haven't been doing, but then I swung the other way and then I was like, oh, my goodness, I feel so overwhelmed and restless. I had a deep sense of restlessness for a long time. And, and then I was like, oh, and, you know, screw it all. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> so I just went back and forth between these two things and eventually sort of came back into the middle. Um, and at first I was like, I don't want to do anything online. No, I can't speak in front of a room full of people. I need, I need that energy. Um, and then I realised it was like 
this is going to be going on a lot longer than what we thought initially. So I needed to make some shifts. And then I also realised that me taking that approach was quite selfish because it's all well and good for me to sit back. But I felt that the more that this, you know, scenario unfolded and dragged on and on and on, the more that I would be needed. So I realised that I had to get out of my own way. I had to get over myself and how much I may have disliked doing this in the beginning. It wasn't about me. And I'm really glad that I've shifted that. So, you know, thank goodness we've got technology. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have been in the current world circumstances we're in 20 years ago or longer ago. I just couldn't imagine it. Mm-mm. I was going to ask you, so you had mentors and coaches, so you got you surrounded yourself and did you select them or did they find you? How did you find the support network that you got? Yeah, the, the people that I'm working with currently, um, so I'm working with two coaches and one mentor that I, like, I engage with very, very regularly. Um, so my business coach, my two, my two, my two coaches um, I've come to find online um, so one, my business coach is in Canada. Another one of my coaches is in the US. So um, I've been able to work with them that way. Um, and then my mentor, I was really fortunate to meet when I was in Toronto. Actually, actually, you know, this 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 exact time last year, I was in Toronto, and it was just someone I met there. And he is an incredible speaker coach to many many successful speakers and. Fortune 50 CEOs in the US, um, and yeah, we we met, and he offered to. He said, "Yeah, if you want, if you want my help, then I'm here." And so we we meet we meet on a regular basis. He's in he's in the US as well, um, so I'm really fortunate to have those outside eyes. And I think we all do need those outside eyes because often the people around us see something in us, and often believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. And we need those cheerleaders and we need those people who are also going to be quite honest with us as well. Um, it's just it's vital. Um, and often people sort of feel that they need to have someone that is a formal mentor. Um, but often if you go and ask somebody to be your mentor, that is really scary. And I've had people ask me to be their mentor and it's almost like asking someone to marry you on the first date. <laughs> There's a real sense of pressure and commitment there. Um, but ultimately it's just looking to the people around you and particularly if you've got a question or, you know, you want some advice, it's just reaching out. And most people are very accessible if you have a question or just want to run something by them, then most people are really more than happy to to do that. But if you say, I want you to be my mentor, then that's really a big commitment. Mm. Did you kind of made a decision to say in my business I need a coach and I need a mentor and then went out and looked for those skills specifically or do you did you think that in the work that you do you suddenly met somebody and then you think oh actually that person is going to be so great or was it a very targeted uh, approach? From the coaching perspective it was targeted yeah it was definitely targeted um, because I've done lots of courses and things like that and I realised that I didn't need more information. I just needed some of that guidance and more importantly I needed the accountability to actually hold me to my word to do what I say that I'm going to do. And, and my business coach now, as, as he sort of says that, you know, it's, it's, it's about the accountability but more importantly than just the accountability, it's then finding that person that you've got accountability with that you deeply do not want to disappoint 
because we'll let ourselves down, we'll make all the excuses in the world why we haven't done something or we'll just put it off or shift it in the calendar. And even like from a, you know, even if it's someone that's maybe a friend, then we're very forgiving of each other, but it's finding that person that you don't want to let down. Um, and sometimes it's making really public statements about what you're what you were going to do as well, um, because it does hold you accountable. And I think it's, it's really the missing ingredient. And that's why coaching is so important. So what's going to happen now for you with the business? Um, how are you uh, restructuring, restructuring it? Yeah, well, it's been a very big change for me. And, and ironically, a lot of the things I'm doing now is what my coach had told me to do two years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> Yes. Um, he, he wanted me to do, he wanted me to do a lot more one-on-one coaching because I've done a little bit, I'd done a little bit over the years, but I hadn't really enjoyed it. I think I just loved speaking so much and being around people. And so he wanted me to do coaching and that's what I've ended up. I first started out doing was coaching. So I've got, um, clients that I work with both here in Australia, also, um, in the U S as well now. Um, so that's been amazing and being able to actually go quite deep with people has been something that you don't get an opportunity to do in a room full of a thousand people for an hour. So it's been a real gift to be able to do that. Um, I've been doing lots of stuff online. So whether it's doing interviews like this, um, doing some virtual speaking, that's been fantastic. And, you know, being on webinars and being able to do that all around the world has been amazing. And I think one of my favourite ones I've done was was doing, um, you know, just a short talk for 200 businesswomen in South Africa. Oh, wow. Was amazing. And yeah. so at the beginning where we thought, I thought that, and a lot of us thought that the world had sort of shut down really the world has opened up to us in ways that we probably never could have imagined had we just kept going on life as usual. And I think that's been really amazing with this thing. It's, it's snapped us out of complacency and it's given us that real perspective that just because things are a certain way that they're always going to be that way. So that's been really powerful. So doing the coaching, doing the online speaking, and then in the background, I've started recording for a podcast um, and also putting together just some small group, um, some small group, not your typical course, but more of a co-creation process with small groups of people around rituals for resilience to help move through these times and come out the other side stronger. Fantastic. Well, look, I'm sure that we'll be able to, you know, um, find ways to we'll definitely share this and and talk down the track about what what we can do together as well and especially in the space of resilience um but the last question is what would you like the world to remember you by for yeah oh look i know a little while ago i I sort of had this vision that i would love it for if someone heard the word resilience then they immediately thought of me but really my, my big vision is is I would love people to start to see obstacles as opportunities. And that's my vision is a world where obstacles are seen as opportunities. If I could do that, then I would be a very, very happy woman. Yes, I'm on that with you. Have you read <laughs> Obstacle is the yes. Way? Not yet. Ryan Holiday on oh, the list. You have to. You have to. Oh, my God. Uh, a download to Audible um, book and when I drive and oh my god I love I love it I love it and it's um yeah obstacle is the way for me as well 
Yeah, brilliant. It's just brilliant. And um, I was asked the other day on a, on a podcast around adversity. It's like all about what's your definition of adversity or what's the benefit of adversity. And for me, without adversity, without challenge, there cannot be any growth. Yeah, agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So, look, thank you so much for your time, Stacey, and we really appreciate, appreciate it. And uh, so to our audience there, that was Stacey Copers, renowned international speaker on the topic of resilience. So she wants you to remember that when you think of resilience, you remember her. <laughs> so thank you very much. And uh, if you like to hear more stories like this, please make sure you click on the subscribe button with the bell below there. And uh, yeah, let us know. So thank you for joining us. I'm Dai Lee, and that's it from Dawncast. Bye. You better turn up. You better be there when I shake. Watch me rocking if I can't stop.